The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I'm so grateful to have you here, and I hope you'll go to my host page at Voice America, where you can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Today, I'm talking with Ash Beckham. Until recently, Ash lived a relatively private life in Colorado, working for a family business and part-time at a local restaurant, where the staff had become like family. Then a friend suggested she apply to speak at the Boulder Ignite Conference and signed her up before she really decided whether to do it or not and without a topic. She was accepted, and her speech about the term that's so gay and how to decide when its use is inappropriate and derogatory led to a TEDx talk about having the hard conversations we all need to have in our lives. Having learned the value of having hard conversations through her own coming out process, she now speaks about the imperative for all of us to come out with the truth of our lives, no matter what that is. She speaks to numerous groups on campuses and at conferences, and just recently, this past weekend, was a keynote speaker at the LGBTQ conference at Harvard, speaking about the importance of honest conversations intended to cultivate understanding between people. Her new career as a speaker and LGBTQ activist has helped her to increase visibility and raise money for organizations she believes in including the Trevor Project, the Wounded Warrior Project, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and the Live Strong Foundation. You can find her at ashbeckham.com. Welcome, Ash. Hi, Cheryl. Good to see you. Or, I guess, good to talk to you. (laughs) Good to hear you. Yep, exactly. (laughs) I have to give a shout-out to my wife, because she actually found your talks online and said, you got to hear this, and I just knew right away I'd like to have this conversation, so thank you for saying yes. Oh, absolutely. So your life has changed kind of overnight, it seems like. Can you tell us more about how all that came about? Sure. Well, like you said, I was just, you know, even a year ago right now, I was doing my usual, uh, you know, living my life in Boulder, and, and I was pretty happy with it. But there had been recently a, a pretty big influx of kids in my family, um, you know, either my sister's kids or friends of mine that had kids and, and I was, you know, we're not having that perspective of how those kids would be treated, whether they had two moms or, or whatever. The commonality between all of them was that they were all going to know me as their aunt. Mm. Um, and then the, the fact that at some point those kids would have a hard time either explaining or protecting or defending or whatever that would be me because I was gay was really hard for me to handle. So when uh, this Ignite 
I went to one Ignite in December of 2012 and was really inspired by what that was. It was all amateur speakers and seemed like a really great way to speak, you know, in an intimate setting in my community about something that I believed in. Uh, so when when I got nominated and then figured it out, it it was and Boulder's a pretty progressive place. So to get up there and talk about you know the the justification for marriage equality, you know that it's pretty much preaching to the choir mm-hmm. here for that. So that didn't seem to be something you know in in my version of activism that would make the most sense. But when you have uh, you know you have the way these kids are being affected and what that's going to feel like, and you know it does it's not even just the kids that are gay, but the kids that have gay people in their lives or have gay friends or gay parents like that that is something where we just need to protect those kids a, a little bit so that was kind of the inspiration of the talk mm-hmm. and then and, I moved into uh, oh go ahead well and also teach them how to handle it yeah uh, right exactly as they Ooh. as they mature I know I know my kids um, evolved in terms of how they handled those kinds of issues for sure Absolutely. And, you know, kids are pretty smart and they're pretty resilient um, and they're really honest. And if they have the the words to stand up for themselves and they know how to, you know, explain their point of view and as long as they know what to say and, and how to have those conversations and they feel comfortable in having them, I think it's a lot easier, you know, but when it's kind of swept under the rug or it's something we don't talk about or, you know, it's something that's awkward or hidden or, you know, parents get uncomfortable explaining any of that, then it's a lot harder for the kid to to find those words. So that was another part of it was to try to give them the opportunity to say, hey, when this happens, this is how it affects people. And then not only that, but that the onus is on the allies, you know, that mm-hmm. the, not only are how are gay families teaching their kids to, to act and, and react, but then how are, you know, hetero families with no link whatsoever to the LGBTQ community, how are they teaching their kids to be better stewards in their community? And they certainly don't have, you know, the words or the perspective or any of that because it's just not their world, but they want to, they just don't know how. So that was kind of the other version of is like putting that responsibility on other folks to, to take responsibility for the effect of the things that they say. Yes. And one of the huge impacts on me of your talk was that you could do that with a great deal of humor. Um, sure. Which it now makes even more sense that uh, it, it came about as a way of talking with kids about this, because, of course, that's kind of a doorway for right. kids. Tell them something funny, it's going to stick a little more. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's a huge part of it. And the kids have a great sense of humor and they're incredibly forgiving of each other. I mean, I think they're, they're sensitive, but they don't hold grudges. You know, if, if I think there's, there's something about when you get into the adult world that we, we put on that people should just know better, but kids don't do that. So somebody might say something and then have this realization of, okay, you know, when I said this is so gay or I said the word fag or I said whatever, you know, I I know that my friend has two moms, and that's not really who I'm talking about. This is just like in our vernacular, and so I was trying to make the connection of absolutely that is, but you need to know how that lands with other people. How you might affect them. Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. and that they might not, you know, they don't often say something. And another thing, you know, when you when you say things like that, 
you don't necessarily know. You know, if the kid is, you know, defining themselves as hetero, as most kids do, or young enough to not even consider any of that, and you might, you know, they might come from a, you know, male-female parenting group, but they could have a gay sibling, a trans nephew, you know, you don't know how yes. far it goes in their family, and you you don't necessarily out those people either, but that you have to have a responsibility if, if it happens in any way, if they have any connection whatsoever, you know, it's, it's like all of the other words that, you know, uh, the N word and, and different racial slurs and, and things like that. Like there are so many words that have been part of our vocabulary and then, you know, the social justice movement and kind of accountability and just a, a shift in society of what's socially acceptable eliminates those words to a greater degree from our lexicon. And so we've had this kind of ebb and flow with, with the presence of words. And, and I would hope that we've kind of hit the peak of gay and we're on our way down because people realize the effects that something like that has. That's a really good hope. I, I hope that too. And it seems to me that it's connected with, you know, it, uh, it used to be, I'm 60, I came out at 17. So I have some history. Right. <laughs> um, it used to be you'd kind of be afraid to say anything. I mean, it, it actually felt physically dangerous sometimes. Unquestionably. And um, so there was always this kind of uh, judgment call about what to say and how to say it. But it seems to me with more of us being willing and able to be out, that is shifting somewhat um, because more people know somebody that they know is gay. Absolutely. And I think the, you know, I think the impact of that is twofold. A, you know more people that are are out in your everyday lives, whether it's the clerk at the grocery store or your pediatrician or your kid's soccer coach or whatever. There's just a, a presence of that. And then as, you know, with, with that happening in society, you know someone directly and, you know, media has ceased to villainize those kind of stereotypical roles of what it means to be gay. And so when you have kids in their, you know, teens who are looking of, okay, they've decided I'm gay. What does the rest of my life look like? How does this affect it? I would say 20 years ago, that was kind of a dismal prospect. And now you have weddings that are happening at a national level, you know, major players in the entertainment industry that are, you know, define themselves as in the LGBTQ community. And it has a huge impact, I think, when you know somebody and it, and it becomes okay to, to make that stand. I think the, the big, another part, in addition to some people being out, is the willingness of allies to step up and that you can be in an environment and just because you defend the person that says, you know, you can't say I'm so gay, or if you're the, the, the person that steps in and actually says something yourself, you're not necessarily a stereotype as being gay. You know what I mean? Before it yes. used to be, if you stood up, you were outing yourself. Definitely. And that was it. Yes. And now I think with the huge anti-bullying movement and everything that, you know, the Trevor Project has done and the It Gets Better Project, and you're, like you said, that general visibility, it's becoming the right thing to do. And so I think that empowers allies to be the person that stands up knowing that if you're not the gay kid, it's a lot easier to step in and make that change because you're not 
out in yourself or your family or whoever it would be. So I think those two things have really uh, changed the willingness of people to, to make that stand. And, and it's flipped from, you know, who's right or who's wrong or who has kind of the moral upper hand of, you know, the gay kid just needs to, to deal with it. I th- and it was okay to bully those kids. And what you need to do is hide it. You know, that was the mentality years yes. ago. And now you have this mentality of it's not okay to bully anybody for any reason whatsoever. And, and people are much more willing to stand up in the face of that, of that bully for any reason. And now gay is just another cause within that, I think. And certainly that the, the effect that it has on youth in, in any of the youth behavioral studies, you know, show tremendous, uh, tremendously higher at-risk behaviors and drug and alcohol use and suicide and all of those things within the gay community. So no doubt that, you know, it's just like anything else. But at the same time, I feel like we've kind of been welcomed into the arms of a lot of places where it's okay to stand up for this. And, and you might, you know, you might get a hard time, but generally speaking, it's, it's become the right thing to do. And I think that that really empowers allies to, to be in a position of power. And maybe even more a higher consciousness that it's a life and death issue, which you just kind of referred to. Absolutely. That, that people who are bullied become uh, self-destructive, become potentially suicidal um, because they sort of uh, criticize themselves in just the ways that they've been criticized. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel, you know, that's part of just, I mean, in general, just, you know, that, that kids to some extent, you know, kids, kids will be kids or boys will be boys was something that, that was just an accepted standard mm. before. And it was just like part of what it meant to grow up. And I think now that you, you know, you have the actual data and the actual lives that are changed and the willingness of those parents to stand up and know the effects that this has, I feel like that the visibility of the causes is even more, you know, even more prevalent. It's, you know, those tragic statistics are making it extremely real for anyone that's involved in any way. Absolutely. And um, the other thing I'm noticing is that parents of gay kids have uh, slightly less to go on in terms of um, the worst kinds of reactions, you know, you'll never get married, you'll never have children, you you know, there's sort of a litany. Well, there's not so many items on that litany any longer. Oh, absolutely. I I 100% agree. And I think you can go to your parents and, you know, of course, it's always hard and a lot of parents that are just worried about their kids wealth, you know, just, just health and welfare and what the rest of their life is going to look like. And now you can say being gay is just another statistic about me and everything else I wanted to do in my life, be it professionally, be it personally. Do I want to get married? Do I want to have kids? Do I want to be a doctor? Do I want to be a lawyer? Do I want to do any of these things? I have the ability and willingness to do that. And literally the only difference is the person that I go home with. And certainly, you know, with, with marriage equality, only in a third of our states, there's a ways to go still on, on that. But those, again, those, those role models are out there. And like how many, 
you know, parents, moms specifically, probably watch Ellen. And now all of a sudden what it means to be a lesbian is okay. And they don't watch Ellen because she's a lesbian. They watch her because she's a really good comedian and a really great talk show host. But it normalizes, you know, quote unquote, normalizes what that means. And, you know, the same thing for men. I feel like there are certain arenas and I, and I think men were kind of tracked in this really high risk behavior lifestyle of mm-hmm. you go to bars, you do this, you're hypersexual, you do all of these different things. And now you have folks, you know, locally in Boulder and obviously where you are in different places that are teachers with husbands and they're raising kids in the community. And and that is a different life. Like you just have choices. There's, you're not, you know, stereotyped into if you're gay, this is how you do it. Get on board. This is the life you've got, so you might as well enjoy it. You know that. Yes, yes, I well remember. (laughs) I'm sure. For sure. Because, of course, when I had kids, nobody, I knew two people that had kids. Right. Oh, for sure. (laughs) It wasn't that long ago. When when I telescope back, it really wasn't that long ago. It's pretty amazing how much has changed, even though it felt like forever. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, What those struggles were like and what the, you know, kind of, societal standards were like, I, th- I think is, especially when it, you know, lived in your, within your lifetime, you know how hard that was. And, and knowing people older than I, for whom it was even harder than that. Absolutely. Uh, so it's, it's, um, I like to take a moment to be thankful for sure. Oh, I mean, no, <laughs> no doubt that, and that, I think and that's still part some of, things to do. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that that's part of it is certainly to look at where we're going next, but remember where we've come from and the struggles that we went through to to get where we are and that these, you know, to think that the marriage equality fight started 10 years ago in Massachusetts is, is just a very short-term vision of what our history truly is. And it's important that we all know what the struggle has been like and what those little victories were. And there's something great about, I think, the youth now that has just an expectation that in the next 10 years, marriage equality will be a national law. I, I have no doubt that that's the case. And to know, to think of me, even 10 or 15 years ago, I didn't know if I would see it in my lifetime. And your no, kids now that have you. that expectation. I, I'm with you entirely. And, and the expectation of, for instance, my kids, all of whom are heterosexual, but they've just been saying for about 10 years, we've got this as soon as, you know, we're the big boat voting block, you know. They just Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think it has spread out uh, and all their friends as well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely spread out. Well, we're, it's almost time for our first break. When we come back, I really want to talk about, uh, you know, you don't get to a place like you're at all of a sudden one day. So I want to talk about your own road to um, being outspoken, being an advocate, being political. And um, I'm looking forward to it. So it's time for our break. And after after that, we'll we'll just continue. Listeners, in these few minutes, you can go to the Good Grief host page to like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn. You can go to my website, too, www.weatheringgrief.com, to sign up for the show notifications, to receive my newsletter. And to reach Ash Beckham, go to A-S-H-B-E-C-K-H-A-M.com. Mm-hmm. 
Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96362. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. Today I'm here with Ash Beckham, whose video about the term, That's So Gay, led to a TEDx talk about the importance of having the hard conversations. Both went viral on the Internet and led to a very busy speaking schedule across the country. So in this segment, Ash, I want to talk about the hard conversations in your life that evolved into the work you're doing. Um, Maybe it's because of the lens I look through, but I think of coming out as in part a loss. Does that sit with you right? And if so, what losses did coming out bring for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it definitely, I don't know if I've looked at it from that perspective really before, but I think that that's, you know, incredibly relatable. I think that even when we're, we're kids, and you know, I came out um, in my early twenties, like twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. And when that happened, I, you know, was was having this realization of the life that I thought I was going to live, that I had been programmed to live, then watched movies to 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 follow, and all of those different things. That life was over, and it was not going to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, and and not that you can't attain all of the other things in your life. You know, but in, in that moment, I, you know, I was, you know, I'm not going to have the white dress. I'm not going to, and I wasn't, 
sad because I knew what I was doing was was the only way I was going to be happy. But there's kind of this release, especially when you're around so many, so many of my friends were heterosexual women that there's you, you, you're kind of you there's a loss of that club. You know, there's certain things that you just don't feel like you'll ever relate to again. Um, and I think that that's, that's hard. And I, you know, I've maintained and, and reconnected with, with a ton of those friends who are incredibly supportive. But in that moment, when you're making that decision, I mean, I think you're literally saying goodbye to everything, you know, and you have no idea what you're stepping into. Because you don't really, you you don't really know what will, what will survive for one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) How many of those friendships will, will endure, won't, you know, family relationships, obviously, I think is a huge part of it. And, and I think you're, um, we're kind of programmed to, to this certain life that we're supposed to have. And, and when it is just on its face unattainable, I think that there's certainly a grief that comes from, from that. And of course, some people do actually lose a tremendous amount, you know, if their parents cannot their families cannot accept them or they lose jobs or they lose homes or, you know, that's, but, but I think just having to come to terms with not being the acceptable one is right. a, in itself, at least for a time. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. How did that go for you with, you know, coming out to your family and your, and your friends? Uh, sure. Um, I was, you know, it took me a while to kind of get on board myself. You know, I was like, oh, it's just like college or whatever. But it was, you know, it, it didn't take me too long um, to figure out that exactly what I was, what I wanted. Um, but the coming to my family and telling them, I think, was, was, was certainly challenging. And so I hid it for a while. And, you know, this is my my coming out story. I, I feel like I, I had a really supportive family and, and I was dating this woman and we, you know, we broke up and she broke up with me. It was the first time I had been dumped in my entire life. Mm. And I was devastated, just I, like heartbreak. Um, and then the night after that, the evening that that happened, I, I, I was living at home. My sister had just graduated from college and I was home for the summer. And so we were living with my parents together. And so I had said to her when I came home, you know, I need to, I need to talk to you tonight when mom and dad go to bed. Can we talk? She said, absolutely. We went down, you know, we went downstairs in the basement and, and I said, um, I need to tell you that I'm gay. And she, you know, she said, uh, well, I knew from the look on your face, you're either gay or pregnant. Like those were the <laughs> two, the two options of what was going on. And I never, only recently since all of this, I, I did an interview for a local paper back in Ohio where I grew up over Thanksgiving and they, my sister and my mom came with me to the interview so that they could get a little bit of background information. And, uh, I heard my sister say for the first time, and I never really knew this. She said, "I've I had never seen her so upset about anything. Like she had had boyfriends and whatever, but I had never ever seen her so upset." She's like, "So I didn't even care about like we didn't even talk about her being gay for three or four days after that because mm-hmm. all my all she wanted to do was support me in this heartbreak, knowing what that feels like and how terrible that." you know, that just that incredible feeling of loss that comes from that. And so she, you know, didn't even, and she had, you know, friends that were gay and in college and, and, you know, obviously different when it's your sister, sure. but she was like 
she was unconditionally supportive, and I think a huge part of that was because of the genuineness of that heartbreak and her true, like caring about nothing but me being okay. Um, so, so that was great. She was, I mean, supportive from the instant that she knew. Um, that's that's parents- really interesting too, because that's a moment where a lot of people wouldn't come out. You know, they yeah, they right. wait till they were feeling strong and ready. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but it actually worked to open her heart. Yeah, uh, and and carry her with you because you were hurting so much. For sure, and I think when you, you know when you for for me, I knew how incredible you know, and and I had not been truthful with a lot of people in my life at that point about, you know, where I was, like, I was just lying to everybody I knew to try to keep this under wraps. And my, um, but I knew like when the bottom fell out, that that's the one person on the planet that I could go to with anything and that she, she would be supportive. So I just kind of, I was banking on, on that. And I, I knew I, you know, I'd never experienced that before. And I, and I knew I was going to need help to get through it. And that was just, she was just, has always been that person in my life. So, uh, so <coughs> excuse me, I felt really lucky. Um, my parents took a little bit longer. I mean, I didn't tell them for a while. So it was in the summer. So I had, you know, told my mom in the fall and, uh, my parents had a, you know, kind of a different, different reaction. My, my mom had always been in fashion, uh, and, and retail and, um, and, and was really, you know, progressively minded and, certainly, you know, liberal and, uh, you know, grew up and I, you know, I was born the same year that Roe versus Wade happened. And, you know, she was a very much a like bring home the bacon fried up in a pan kind of woman. She was no <laughs> uh-huh. joke and owned multiple businesses and, and, and was just, you know, incredibly strong and powerful to me. And then also was involved in the fashion scene. So she would go in buy for her stores in, in New York City and we had a gay interior designer and a, the guy that cut her hair was gay and the, you know they would go to Broadway like my mom got down with like gay people <laughs> but her kid being gay was a totally, totally different, different thing. thing not uncommonly and my huh? dad you know for my mom it was you know it was a, a huge part of it was that she had this incredibly strong maternal instinct and all she could think of was what's good. She's not going to be okay. That's all that it's like all she could think of was that I was just essentially setting myself up for a life of misery because of how other people would treat me. Mm-hmm. And then my dad, um, so I told my mom and, and she, you know, she was upset, but we, you know, we, we were, we were a really close family. It's just the four of us. And I was getting, we were getting distant because I was dating somebody new back in Colorado who was amazing, who I was with for almost a decade. Um, and in the beginning of like that really fun new dating time, I couldn't tell my mom about this person. And I, you know, every single boy I ever, ever had a crush on, my mom knew about before I even knew. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like that's how close we were. Yeah. And then to have this huge formative thing in my life and not be able to share it with her was was really tough. And she, you know, she could tell we would talk about, you know, nothing that mattered. We talk about the weather and whatever. And it didn't, you know, so she could feel it. And so she finally kind of you know, pressed me on it. And then I told her and, and, you know, I, I would doubt she was a hundred percent surprised. I mean, I think she probably knew. Uh, and then we, you know, she, we didn't, she, we, it was, uh, maybe not the best idea to tell my dad at that point. So it took like another year then, which my parents have been married for, I don't know, almost 50 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And they, and I, I, I would say that them, not sharing that, like keeping that from my father 
was probably one of the hardest things they've ever gone through as a couple because yeah. they've just been so incredibly honest with each other. I mean, they are madly in love with each other still 45 years later. Um, but they, but I, that was really hard. So then we finally told my dad, and my dad had been raised Catholic. You know, it was like a guy's guy. I mean, he coached my softball team, coached my sister's softball teams. I mean, he had been around that, but it just isn't, was never really on his screen. And he had just been told his entire life that being gay was wrong. So yes. it was less that, it was that homosexuality was wrong, not that his kid was, he was, like, he was fine with me being gay. He was just like not really on board with gayness. And my mom was fine with gayness, just not really on board with her kid being gay. So, you know, the two of them together, I think, certainly, a, you know, loss for them and, and grieving the life they thought their kid was going to have. Sure. And, and then also um, what's next and having to, you know, then, and I don't know if people really think of this, but there, it is, I mean, then my parents had to come out to their friends. Absolutely. hard. You know, they grew up in the same town their parents grew up in. I grew up in that time. I and mean, these people we've known for decades. And then all of a sudden, you know, so they, they'd be like, oh, how's Ash? Is she seeing, you know, she's seen anyone? And they would say no because it was just easier than having a conversation. And then finally they were like, we need to start telling the truth. And so they, you know, then went through this process of coming out to all of their friends. And that's, you know, that's really hard to do, especially like I don't live in town. I can't, I, you know, they have to have all those conversations about something that is brand new to them that they don't really understand without me there. So they just got to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's very familiar to me. My parents both worked for the American Baptist church when I came out to them. So they became a great resource though. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. Once, um, once that it is a coming out process for them and then they're out with themselves and you know things evolve yeah absolutely my dad I remember going home one Christmas or something you know when we were still kind of figuring stuff out and my dad um came in my you know I was in my room or whatever you know reading or getting ready for bed and he came in with a book a stack of books that he had gotten from the um you know, like Christian science readings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I was like, Oh my God, I just can't, can we not, like, I thought they were doing so well. Can we not have this fight? Can we not whatever? And so he like gave me, you know, gave me the books and I was like, dad, I can't like the conversion therapy. I can't do it. And he goes, Ash, I don't want you to believe any of these things. He goes, you have to know what the other side is thinking. And I want you to know what, what they're thinking because I didn't know what to do with any of this. So I got all the information I possibly could and, and read it, and I 100% support you. But as someone in this world who's going to, you know, this is what the rest of your life is going to look like, you need to know what the other side thinks. And that was the point where I was like, my parents are on board. Absolutely. Because <laughs> that, that was supportive, yeah? Exactly. And I knew yeah. that they were, you know, and I knew, and I, I always believed in my heart of hearts, I would not lose my parents. Like, I, I, I knew they would eventually come around. I knew that it was going to be hard. I didn't know how long it was going to be hard. And I knew I was the one that was making it hard. And again, like I said, we had a really close family. It was pretty storybook. Like there were, there was nothing. So to disrupt that equilibrium, to shake that boat on purpose was really hard for me to do. And there there are two things I think that really resonated with my parents. One was that, you know, I, I, you know how much I love you. You know how much I care about you. You know how much I love this family. And if this is not something that you can get on board with, I will, I have to go. Like it wasn't a threat. It was, it was just, just, just how I wanted them to know how serious and 
profound this was for me and this wasn't something that was changing. And then the other thing was, you know, I don't want their their friends to think differently because I'm gay. I want them to think differently of gay people because now they know one. And that one thing really resonated with my mom and dad of like, wait a second, it's, it's I'm still their kid and they can say, they can have that same conversation and they know that I'm still their kid. Yes. <laughs> but to have that conversation with their friends from that perspective of not feeling guilty, not feeling like somebody's offended, not feeling like they did a bad job as parents, but just putting on somebody else and being like, if you want to think of Ash differently, fine. But we're telling you she's the same kid she's always been, I think was really empowering and a good foundation for them as, as they move forward. And, th- and that must help them a lot, that process, now that you're so public, yeah? Yeah, you know, it was, thank goodness, I mean, that they were, they were, and they've been on board, I mean, that was you know, probably at this point, 20, 17 years ago that we, I came out to them and they, um, you know, and, and it didn't take, I mean, of course, just like you said, like it feels like forever when you're in it, but yes. it really wasn't that long. I mean, it was a matter, I don't even know if it was a, I think, you know, we had a, a big conversation one Christmas and I think by the next Christmas, my partner was there. Um, and not that it was always like perfect and easy and simple. I mean, it was still sure. hard and it took an adjustment. Um, but they were, you know, we're like working through it. So I, you know, so, and then they've been like unconditionally supportive ever since. And, you know, I'll get calls from my mom when the city of Toledo offers same sex partner benefits to their employee. I mean, they are like on board and I've sent multiple friends, parents that are struggling because since we were involved in, in sports locally, my dad continued to coach. Um, why we just know a lot of kids that are younger and as these kids are coming out and they knew I was out. I mean, my mom, I think, has been a resource to a lot of a lot of moms just in, you know, you feel bad having a hard time with it. Like, you feel guilty that it's hard. And I think that her perspective has been, well, that's okay, because it's just hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay that it's a struggle. Like, it's okay, and you can work through it, and you, it doesn't make you any less of a mom that your kid coming out to you is something that upsets you or makes you sad or any of those things, that that's totally fine. I absolutely agree with that. And also that is a loss because it, you know, coming out is about love and you're, who you're going to love is making the people you care about most sad. Yep. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So it's, it's kind of an upside down thing, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, n- yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Guess what? It's time for another break. That was quick. Wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> After the break, I, I want to talk about where you're going because, um, you know, I, I, I'm watching the unfolding of this new career um, and I want to hear more about it. So in these few minutes, listeners out there, just go to the host page to connect in whatever way you like and you can go to my website www.weatheringgrief.com and Teresha Ash Beckham go to ashbeckham.com What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and my website, www.weatherandgrief.com. And you can find my guest, Ash Beckham, at ashbeckham.com. Her talk about the term, That's So Gay, led to a TEDx talk about the importance of having hard conversations. Both went viral on the Internet and led to invitations to speak across the country, which I get the idea you're doing a whole lot of, Ash. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's starting. It was funny. The, the TEDx talk went viral in um, uh, October. And so that, you know, was, was obviously just really... Just past October? Yeah, just this past. So I oh, did wow. the talk September 22nd. So the, my first public talk was February of 2013. And then the TEDx talk was September of 2013. Oh, uh, nice. And then, yeah, so and then it was about a month out from when that got recorded to when it got released to when it... Uh, the folks at Upworthy.com have, have been really great for me in moving those things forward. So it was late October when that happened, which was, uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been short. So there wasn't a lot to do. You know, I was speaking locally at some schools and helping out with some other, you know, people doing speaking engagements and stuff uh, through the end of the year. But, you know, essentially by the time you get to November, it's, it's shot anyway for schools. And now everybody's back in, in session. So now it's about uh, three or four speaking engagements a month uh, through May and then the summer, obviously schools aren't in and, and predominantly that's what it's been. It's been universities or high schools and then the, the fall's getting pretty pretty busy too. So, uh-huh. Are you hoping to do that full time? Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I like, like we said in the beginning, I, you know, I, was, I was pretty happy with, with my life before. You know, I was just kind of a lesbian living in Boulder doing my thing and uh, and I, and I was happy and, and certainly, you know, not a, not a huge activist, but, but out everywhere and, and pretty visible in, in the community. 
Um, and, and then this happened and, and started and it really made me, it just wasn't obviously anything that I was expecting in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I think the impact it's had on me and, and these conversations I, I've been having with people, you know, it kind of is, is back to that old adage of like, if not us, who, and if not now, when, you know, like yes. we, it's, it's here. And, and I would be, I'll, my perspective has kind of always been if, if, if this was, if what's happening to me was happening to a friend and they were either, you know, too, too nervous or unsure or any of those things to, to kind of ride this wave. Cause obviously this is so much bigger than me. Uh, yes. but it was a conversation that, that needed to happen and, and I'm honored to, to be part of it in any way, shape or form. So, so I, I just know that if it was a buddy of mine that was like, I don't, I don't really know if I can like fit this in my life. I mean, it's, <laughs> how many times has something like this happened to you? And, and I feel, you know, incredibly lucky and, and, and honored that it has. And so I feel like at this point I've, I've been pretty lucky and I've been pretty privileged and I've lived in really great places and I've had really great friends and have an incredibly supportive family. Um, and there's a lot of people that don't have those things and it's, you know, it's about time that I, you know, took, took my, took my stand on the, on the watchtower. So if that feels like what this feels like to me is a responsibility to, to the community to, to do what I can. I mean, that's what I had said in one of the talks, like you do what you can, no more, but no less. But and, no less. Yeah. And this is, you know, to me, this is okay. I, this is what I can do. And what I have to say is you must have already been there in some sense because those talks were were so um, fully formed. Sure. Uh, so I have to think that although you weren't doing anything public with it, you had given all this a lot of thought. Yeah, I mean, I have a pretty... Um amazing group of people, uh, in, in, in Boulder specifically, uh, and then friends back home, uh, that, that are brilliant and have had life experiences that come with it from their perspectives of this is when it's been hard and this is when it's been easy. And, you know, this is how I've had to have a conversation with the school district that I worked for over same sex partner benefits. Like it was just a very, very, um, it's just what we talk about, you know, it's your life. And, and I would just as soon sit down with my buddies and, and talk about football or talk about March madness or talk about the, <laughs> you know, new local brew on tap at the brewery. At the same time, we would, we would sit around and say, Hey, this is what it's, you know, here's a coworker of mine that's out. Here's a coworker of mine that's not out. This is what it's like to work in this school district or this job or the, you know, how to, how to come out at work, like any of those things. I mean, it just, it's what we talk about because it's just life. So I felt pretty, um, I felt pretty clear on what those, those conversations, they're just the conversations that, that we're, we're having and, and, um, that I have a, you know, we live in a pretty safe place. You know, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no gay bars in Boulder because you can go anywhere. I mean, I truly believe that that's, that's the case. You don't have that, that need for it. So, so we've, it's just it, that's you know as especially as a bunch of my friends are starting to have kids, and then then that's a whole nother set of questions. Absolutely, um, I think that we've just all you know it, it just it just kind of takes a village, and and we you know just sit around over dinner and drink wine and talk about whatever anybody's hot topic is. So <laughs> absolutely, um, it, well, it seems like it, it was relatively natural, I guess, in that way. The the thing that. Um, 
really moved me about the TEDx talk was the way in which, you know, I, I have this idea that the process of coming to terms with a difference inside of us, being gay is one of those, actually strengthens us ultimately. And uh, when you connected uh, coming out to something everyone needs to do, well, some people sort of have the luxury or whatever you want to call it of not doing that. Um, But that doesn't always uh, help you to know who you are, yeah? So, Oh, absolutely. That's perfectly said. (laughs) So... uh, there's some way you're encouraging people beyond the LGBTQ community to figure out who they are and be authentic about that as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that just seems such a wonderful thing to, to go to next. Hey, we all have these things, you know, sure. that we need to say and do and be. Right. And I feel like we, especially, you know, in probably the last few political cycles, if everything feels so divisive and there's this, you know, here's, there's this this group of people, especially in the social justice movements that that exist, and there's kind of like these instead of fighting over each other on these crumbs that are being thrown down that that we have this this need that we all essentially want the same thing is we just want to be treated fairly. So instead of looking at the ways that we're different, can we just sit down and look in the ways that we're similar? And can I see somebody? And, and not necessarily go go to those differences, but go to those similarities. And, and I think, I, you know, I originally did this because, you know, my thought was I have friends that are straight that'll never know what it feels like to come out of the closet. Like they don't, they don't think they know, I guess, what that like physically feels like. You know, I had a friend who explained it as like, you know, when you have like there's a surprise party for somebody and you're so nervous because you think you're going to blow it because you're going to say the wrong thing at the same time. You're like, try that exponentially raised about something that you're scared to death to say. But that feeling, like that's a close feeling. So I, the more I thought about that, I was like, okay. So when I originally put the thoughts together, it was, hey, all of the people in the world, this is a way that you can relate to us. This is how you can know what it feels like to be us. And the evolution of that talk and, and, and through the development of it and the feedback I got from friends and family, it turned into what I was not expecting it to be was how can we all interrelate? You know, I huh. was like, how can somebody with PTSD relate to being gay? Okay, that's fine. Like, it's kind of the same thing. But then when you have the people with PTSD relating to the, you know, the folks that just declared bankruptcy, to the folks that just, you know, came, you know, were just diagnosed with brain cancer, they have to tell their five-year-old they're getting a divorce. Like, it was this very interconnected web. It was so much less linear than it actually seemed in my head. Um, th- that you know, that, that was great because it took the life of the commonality I thought was so necessary. So it kind of carried you where it went. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean that I wasn't. That's fantastic. Yeah, that wasn't the, that certainly wasn't the, the, the thought, you know, I I knew it would, you know, play, play well in gay circles. I mean, I, I think that I kind of expected that, but the, the incredible amount of feedback that I've gotten from people that have been able to relate to it um, has truly blown me away. And that, that just speaks to the fact that people want to feel the same. They want to feel like people can relate to them. They want to feel understood. They want to feel like other people know what it's like, that they're not the only one. They might be the only person going through that exact thing, but other people are out there 
and they can relate to it too. And I think Mm -hmm. in this world, what you really, really want is to not feel alone. And, and, uh, you know, that's what, what people were taking from it. And certainly was, was never my intention, but I, you know, I, what else could you possibly want when it got its own legs? I mean, it was amazing. Well, and, and I, I also think, um, most people, uh, actually respond to authenticity unapologetic authenticity absolutely even if they don't agree with you or they don't think they want to like you oh for sure i mean <laughs> i've always said when i come out to somebody i would rather have them say i think you're going to hell than oh okay like give me real give me your real response like yes. give me exactly talk. what you're thinking even if i don't agree with it because then i just know where you stand mm-hmm well, you know what I mean? That's what you've told, what is it, 5 million people? How many yeah, the, people? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, yeah, four, yeah, I think uh, between the two of them, it's, it's, it's really close to five right now. Such an astronomical number, isn't it? Oh, I mean, it wasn't even, and I thought that the, the second one, you know, and, and neither of those were, were obviously ever written to be spoken to anybody outside of that room. I mean, you know, the, the TEDx, I think I probably had some expectations because of the platform, but when the, you know, they sign you a time and mine was 11 minutes and, and I figured, you know, there's no way it's going to go as big as the first one because a, who watches anything for 11 minutes in front of their computer <laughs> and, and B it's not as like snappy and punchy and, you know, social media friendly. I thought, I thought as the first one, so I was like, ah, maybe this thing will get a hundred thousand and, and that'd be great. You know, not that the, the numbers matter, but I was proud of it and, and knew that there were enough people that, that appreciated my work that hopefully it would speak to and, and then that would be great. And when it took off in the way that it did, it was a whole, it was, I mean, no one was prepared for that. Yeah. I mean, no, the TEDx folks weren't prepared for that. Upworthy wasn't prepared for that. My friends and family certainly were not prepared for that. I mean, it was it was an unbelievable, a whole, a whole new you know, level of coming days. out. Huh? Absolutely. Thank goodness. My parents were okay with it by then. By and then every other sure. member in my family now, but then they, now, you know, it became, uh, you know, my parents obviously were on board way before anything, any of this happened, but now I have, you know, my friends, parents who were, you know, uh, tend on the conservative side, you know, their claim is they know, the person that did this video that's all over Facebook, like it, they're <laughs> allies because of that. And it's a, it's a huge, you know, it's great. It's amazing. To share. You know, it's, it's incredible. I feel, I feel super lucky. And it, it sort of feels to me like what you're talking about in terms of being authentic and coming out with who you are and being willing to have the hard conversations is exactly what you've done. True. Uh, and on kind of a, a mega level. Uh, beyond what you thought might happen, but that's really incredible. Yeah, the part that I really, I mean, the thing that, the other thing is that I feel like I'm in such an incredibly lucky space to get the feedback of, of the way being authentic and speaking about authenticity impacts people. But, you know, I've said to, to hundreds of thousands of people that have written me that people think that about anybody acting authentically. When people come out of their closet in any way, they inspire people that they don't even know. And I happen to have this forum right now where people can be really clear to me that that's happening, but that as you come out of the closet and you, as you live more authentically, you're inspiring people who will never tell you that what you've done for them. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm having 
some experience of that myself in starting the show for sure. I bet. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, not five million, but but I've had a pretty private life myself. So. Exactly, and it's now all just of a whole happened. different thing, huh? For sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't wait to see what you do next, and um, I'd love to hear kind of if if you could imagine where it might go at this point. You know, if you could dream big, what would your dream be? You know, I mean, my goal, I think, from from that Ignite talk and then when I got the TEDx Boulder talk, I would love, you know, to be on the TED stage. I think that as the the next venue of mm-hmm. uh, of speaking in that format uh, would would be would be an incredible honor. Um, but realistically, going to these conferences, being a part of the conversation, you know, either locally, nationally, talking to different groups, finding out about more of what is happening across the spectrum of LGBTQ issues, um, being that connector between, you know, uh, similar social justice issues and also uh, LGBTQ issues is huge. I mean, that's, I think now just just being out there and, and being so inspired by by other people and, and just keeping that conversation going. I mean, I feel like it's such a crazy time in our community right now. We're, you know, we're barreling down the, down the roller coaster track. And, <laughs> Good and, way to put and, it. You, know, you, you just don't, you don't want to miss anything and you don't want yes. to miss anybody. We don't want to leave anybody behind. So yes. how do we kind of create this environment of inclusion? And I think that just comes from educating ourselves of what are other people in our movement going through. So that's, that's a huge part of it for me yeah. is is that. Well, I'm sure all that's going to happen and I'm going to keep an eye. And we're, we've reached the end of our time. I, we could, I could talk all day. Oh, my goodness. We're done. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with me today. It's been fantastic. And I hope people will go look at, your, look at the videos and really see what you have to say because it's fantastic. Ashbeckham.com. Um, Next week, I'll be joined by Melanie Damore, one of the most outstanding vocal artists of today, helping to preserve the African-American folk tradition through song and gullah stick pounding. She was the subject of a documentary, Stick and Pound, which showcases the tradition. And she's a singer, songwriter, composer, etc., etc. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. Don't forget to go to the Good Grief host page to email me, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.